Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Sandoval. Happy to be here with you guys. Happy to share the faith. Talk about what it means to be Catholic. And in today's show, really, more than anything else, you know, I want to focus on what does sin do to us as far as being Catholic? Because we know we're not supposed to sin. We know we're not supposed to uh, want to sin, even though we do. You know, part of our broken human nature, part of that concupiscence that we talk about. But what does it do to us? Because there's a whole lot of talk about Dr. Sandoval can sin lead to diabolic uh, influence? Can it lead to diabolic oppression? Can it lead to possession? And you hear all that, you know, if you're going to go to spiritual warfare conferences or whatnot, uh, you're going to hear about how can the devil influence me? But today, what I really want to focus on is can sin by itself lead to mental illness? Is that possible? Well, we're going to start talking about that right after we pray the Regina Celli in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice, alleluia, for he whom you did merit to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, alleluia. Pray for us to God, alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary, alleluia, for the Lord has truly risen, alleluia. Let us pray, O God, who gave joy to the world through the resurrection of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, grant we beseech thee that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, his mother, we may obtain the joys of everlasting life. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hope everybody's having a great and blessed Easter season. Of course, we pray that Regina Celli, as opposed to the Angelus during the um, Easter season. So it's nice to, to change it up a little bit sometimes, still honoring Our Lady for everything she did for us, for giving her yes. And the question is, do we always give our yes to the Lord? You know, this topic for today came up for a couple of reasons. I was at a conference uh, with uh, Father Ripperger and I heard him speaking. And, you know, he was mentioning how one of the merits of Our Lady is that when she said yes to God, when the angel appeared to her and she said yes, and every action she did after, uh, when she was already uh, expecting our Lord, when our Lord was born, as our Lord was growing up, and she knew what our Lord was going to go through. She did every action. She said yes to our Lord without ever considering what the price she was going to have to pay was. That was her perfection. You know, we don't do that. We always think about, well, what's in it for me? Our lady never questioned that. She never said, what's in it for me? She never said, gosh, you know, is this going to be to my benefit? How, how am I going to be important if I do this? How's the world going to see me if I do this? She never did that. She was in full compliance with God. Her mind was fully attuned to God, never changed, never wavered. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal because her mind was 100% compatible with heaven, really, more than anything else. I mean, she was 100% compatible with God. This is where, for us, what does it mean? We sin, we do something. We've already bartered. Our lady never sinned. There was no barter. She said, nope, I'm just going to focus on our Lord. I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen to me or not happen to me. I'm going to focus on what can I do um, to please God, period. 
I don't know what's going to happen as far, as far as I'm sure when St. Joseph told her, hey, angel appeared to me. We got to get to Egypt. We got to get out of here. The child's in trouble. Somebody's going to be after him. She didn't think twice about it. She didn't say, well, that's going to be a rough trip. What should I bring? Uh, I don't know. Uh, how do they dress there? She just said, let's do this, and God will provide. We don't always think that way. <clears throat> For us, you know, we're always, our, our fallen nature is, well, if I do this, what about everything I've already accomplished? Or, you know, I've been working towards something in my life, whether it be a degree or a job or something, but I feel like God's calling me in a different direction. Boy, I'm giving up a lot of what I've built up versus Our Lady would have said, no big deal. What does God need? Forget about everything else. You know, we're not always very good at doing that. I include myself in that. We, of course. Um, but the reality is, what does that do? We start bargaining with God. We start saying, no, I think the direction that I want to go in is different. And that's going to lead us to sin, right? Now, we all know we worry, gosh, I sinned. I think that the devil's going to be after me. Or, oh, my gosh, it's a mortal sin. If you've ever, again, when I was at that conference, if you ever listened to uh, what Father Ripper uh, talks about, he'll say every sin, every mortal sin especially, the natural consequence of a mortal sin is diabolic possession. Okay, fair enough. God's mercy is so great that that's not, those aren't the rules he's going to play by. That's that's not what's going to happen to us every time. So we got to take that into consideration. God is always taking care of us. But my question came up a little bit differently because if you listen to my show last week, I was uh, you know, you know, going through a spiritual dryness at one point, and uh, I was talking to a few friends and thought, well, how can we get out of spiritual dryness? And very simply, I started teaching my kids, opening very simple books on the Catholic catechism, the the Baltimore catechism, not even the, the church catechism. I was reading the Baltimore catechism of old and getting just the simple truths. And that alone um, really kind of brought out of a, brought me out of a spiritual dryness. And I thought that was pretty cool. That was awesome. And then I started thinking about something. Well, wait a minute. I read something in there in that Baltimore Catechism that was pretty darn interesting um, when it came to sin. And that was, why did God make us? Right? Why did God make us? So if you go into the Baltimore Catechism and you read, why did God make us? Anybody who grew up reading the Baltimore Catechism or knowing anything about it knows the answer is just ingrained in your brain, right? So the answer, let me read it. Uh, is God made me to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in heaven. Let's read that again. God made me to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in heaven. I'll just take that first part. If we're going to talk about mental illness, obviously, we have to ask ourselves, well, if God made me to know him, if sin leads me to mental illness, I'm not going to be able to reach that point of knowing God. But that's the first thing God made me for. God made me to have an intellect. God made me to have a mind. God made me to be able to think about Him. Right? It doesn't say God made me to know mathematics, or God made me to know social science, or God made me to know, you know, the mysteries of the universe. Well, kind of, technically. I mean, if he is the, the, the mysteries of the universe lead us to him, sure. If studying science leads us to him, sure. But God made me to know him. Everything else goes by the wayside. Okay, so that was the Baltimore Catechism. All right, Dr. Sandoval, well, that's for little kids, right? A little simplistic. Yeah, but a, little, a lot of truth in that. God made me to know him. So God made me to use my intellect in order to get to know him. 
Okay, so that's interesting. Let's start with that. If God made me to know him and I go against that, what's where's the part where I get to know him? So then I started thinking, wait a minute. God made me to know him. But St. Thomas Aquinas says that sin dulls the intellect. In other words, every time I sin, anytime we decide to go against God, what happens to my intellect? It gets dulled, which means that I can't think straight anymore. All of a sudden, I'm not thinking clearly anymore. In fact, it's going to distort what is true and what is not true. So if God made me to know him, and I'm supposed to use my intellect to know God, but I'm sinning and my intellect is no longer intact, I'm already going against that very first objective, the very first nature, the very first reason for my being here, and that is to know God. If I can't know God, how can I love him? It's, it's not going to be possible. Okay, so as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking mental illness, okay, can sin lead to mental illness? That's what this question came out about, because I've got a few cases we're going to share too, about where we see this very, very clearly, um, where truly our sinful life can make us into a, uh, uh, put us in a state where we're not going to be feeling very good. But I had to go through this thought process because it, it doesn't always, it, it doesn't make sense all the time, or it's not the first thing I think about, I should say. You know, it's easy to think about sin and hell. Why? Because we see, you know, Hollywood, we see different movies, and we see, oh, this person played with a Ouija board, and the devil showed up. Or this person started doing witchcraft, and the devil showed up. Now, <clears throat> yes, all that is sinful, to play with a Ouija board, to do witchcraft, to follow horoscopes, goes against the first commandment, obviously. We're not putting God first, so that's that's an issue, and that's a problem, and we think, yeah, I didn't put God first, and Hollywood will tell you, that the natural consequence of that, which is true for the soul, or for actually for the human being, for the body, the mind, the soul, is that we can have diabolic influence. Absolutely. But can we have purely mental illness? Can we have purely mental, uh, uh, our mental faculties fall by the wayside? If sin dulls the intellect, that's the first thing that's going to go. We're not going to think clearly. I'm not going to be able to know God. Because then we have to ask ourselves, well, what is mental health? If I'm thinking sin can cause mental illness, what's mental health? If God made me to know him, then mental health has to be that I can think rationally enough to evaluate the world around me and get closer just by my mental, rational state to the idea of God, to who God is, to wanting to be with God, to wanting to understand God. That's mental health, to be able to think rationally and think clearly enough to want to get closer to God and to understand that there is a God and live my life in that way. That's really what, what's happening because ultimately, what's physical health? Physical health is being able to be physically healthy enough that I can survive in the world around me, that I'm not ill, that I'm not falling prey to these bugs around me, such as viruses and bacteria and things along those lines, that I'm not being influenced by that. Well, what's mental health? Mental health is the same thing, but what's the virus? What's the bacteria for the mental health? You know, when uh, I can tell you all about the chemistries in the brain that that influence our mental health and the medication treatment for that. But the reality is, what's causing that? Or are there certain bugs? Are there certain things that are not allowing me to think clearly mentally? And if I sin, well, what's influencing my mind? You know, I know the break's coming up, but when we come back from the break, one of the things we need to talk about is, if I'm not thinking clearly, if I'm not thinking towards God, then what am I thinking towards? Is there diabolic influence in that? And can that affect? my mental more after the break
All right, folks. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about what does sin do to the mind? Because we all know that, spiritually speaking, sin is no good, right? It takes us away from God, and we think, naturally, if I'm away from God, I'm closer to the other side. I'm not getting closer to heaven. I'm getting closer to hell, and that's no good. But really, what does sin do to the mind? Do we ever think, you know, especially working in mental health, a lot of times we see patients, you know, psychiatrists or mental health professionals, we see patients, but I don't think that we always think about, well, gosh, how's your moral life, right? What are you doing what you know to be right or what your religion teaches you to be right or wrong? You know, what is it that you are doing? Which way are you headed in? We don't talk about that at all. We always talk about, well, you know, I'm, I'm, it's terrible that your boss is stressing you out. And so you feel really tired and stressed. It's terrible that you're, you know, uh, um, that something happened in your life. There was a tragedy. And so, of course, you're going to feel stressed and anxious. And that's true. But what about times when chronically we are doing something and we are not, you know, we're going against what we know to be true in our faith. We're going against what we know was taught us to be true in our faith. And all of a sudden we expect that it's okay, though. You know, I expect that. No big deal. It's kind of like saying, yeah, you know, I'm I'm on a diet. I'm, I've got diabetes or something, you know, and it's, diabetes can be really, really rough. It's tough to treat. Um, but I love to eat my donuts, you know, and that's okay. I expect that my sugar should be okay. I, I kind of manage them, you know, and I, I account for the fact that I eat my donuts and I try to do that and I'm going to eat more insulin or something. And do we ever do that spiritually though? Do we ever say, you know, I know what the catechism says. I know what the 10 commandments are and all that stuff, but I like my sinful little donuts, you know, or I like my, I like to, um, gosh, uh, gossiping is just so nice. I like to gossip a little bit or, you know, it's not really gossiping. I'm talking to people about that. It's just information. I'm, I'm informing people of things. Do we rationalize our sins and expect that, you know, it's okay. I can manage my spiritual life as well managed because that's yeah, a little bit of, of, uh, spiritual dessert. Maybe it's a little sweet, you know, uh, to gossip or to, you know, I've decided that I was going to withhold some information that might've made somebody move ahead in their life. Um, you know, there's so many different things that we do that we rationalize that we don't even appreciate sometimes. And the question is, what does this do to our mental health? I have a couple of cases I want to talk about, you know, later on in the show as to some patients I was treating. Um, and really what it came down to was their spiritual life was off. And that's, that's really what, what happened to them. But we'll talk about those on the latter half of the show here. But first let's ask ourselves this. So again, back up a little bit went to the Baltimore Catechism and I realized that why did God made me? The first thing it says is God made me to know him. In other words, to use my intellect, to be mentally healthy, to have good mental health, being able to use my intellect to rationally come to the realization of God. That's, that's pretty much mental health. Well, geez, Dr. Sandoval, so you're telling me that if somebody's not using their intellect in order to understand God, they're not mentally healthy. Yeah, that's pretty much the bottom line because we get distracted in this world. Everything else is so much more important. Even if we're not sinning, everything else is more important. But if we're not using our intellect to get to know God, yeah, that goes actually against the first commandment, technically speaking, because God said, you will have no other gods but me. Well, if all I'm doing is working, or let's say somebody says, but Dr. Sam, I'm, I'm totally being healthy. What are you talking about? I have a good mental health. I'm all about working out. I'm all about being a bodybuilder or something along those lines. And that's my sole focus. My sole focus is to be healthy, to be in really good shape. Okay, so you're physically maybe in an amazing shape. I don't doubt it. But where's your mind? Where is God in your life? Or is that breaking down? If we're not getting to know God, we're going against the first commandment. 
that's that's pretty much the bottom line and you'll have no other gods but me i'm your only god if i don't know that how can i follow that right so let's look at a few things let's define what sin is what does the catechism tell us what sin is and this time i'm going to go to the actual catechism of the catholic church we can look at the baltimore catechism but i want to have the solid intellectual um adult definition which i think that the baltimore catechism definition is good enough but let's look at it for just for intellectual uh, academic experience sake here just as an academic venture how does the catechism of the catholic church define sin right because if i'm saying gosh if we sin it's going to cause mental illness or it's not going to be healthy mentally What's, what's the definition? So the definition of sin according to the Catholic Church, or the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and I'm going to read this. I'm going to look away here. It's paragraph 1849. is where we start, and it's the definition of sin, okay? Chapter 3, part 2 here. 1849. Sin is an offense against reason. Again, we go back. This is just the very first part. Sin is an offense against reason. We go back to the thought process, the mind, Reason, where do we reason things out? You know, if I'm going to do a math problem, I tell you, hey, you know what? I've got two $5 bills. I'm going to, can you make change for a couple $5 bills? And the way I want you to make change is I'm going to give you two $5 bills. And if you give me a 20, that's great. That's, you, you just made great change for me right there. That's awesome. That's all I really need. I need a 20, but I'm going to give you two fives. Well, there's a problem in that, right? Well, hang on, Dr. Sandoval. You just gave me $10 and you want me to give you $20. What are you talking about? No, I just want you to make change. And so you're going to give me 20 and I'll give you two fives and that's all good. No, something's wrong there. That doesn't make sense. How do you know that? Because you're using right reason, right? You're saying, no, 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 hang on. I'm going to use my mind the way God helped me understand the world. And God helped me to count. And I can count from 1 to 20. And I can count from 1 to 5. And I can count from 1 to 10. And I'm telling you that two fives make a 10. They don't equal a 20. This is not a fair trade, right? <clears throat> so obviously, sin is an offense against reason. Meaning what? Well, I think that it starts off with the garden. Let's look at Adam and Eve. Where's the reason? Did Eve use her reasoning? Now, I'm not here to judge Eve because if you look at different interpretations and, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, what was wrong with Eve? It could have been so simple. What was she thinking? God already told her no. It would have been, oh, why did she fall for that? Oh no, why did we fall for it? Right? I'm sure heaven's looking at us and going, guys, it's really simple. Why do you keep falling for this stuff that doesn't even make sense? Because of original sin, we don't have right reason all the time, right? We're not going to reason things out. Guys, you guys just traded two fives for, you give away a 20 and you got two fives in return. Why'd you do that? Because spiritually, we're not reasoning anymore once we sin, right? It's an offense against reason. So let's look at this. Sin is an offense against reason. Truth, obviously, right? If I'm exchanging two fives and a 20, there's some, some element of truth isn't there. And right conscience. So right conscience let's back up a little bit sin is an offense against reason truth and right conscience so right conscience now is telling us how to think right what we're supposed to think about how do i know that my conscience is in is, is in a good place how do i know i have right conscience the question is where is my mind where is my reason and where does the truth lie the truth is always there what am i choosing to believe right so this is where it gets a little bit interesting what am I choosing to believe? So you're trying to tell me that I can believe things that aren't true? Absolutely. You can absolutely believe things that aren't true. And that's the sad part of life. That Then how do I know what the truth is? Well, this is where we want to ask ourselves. Do we... Hang on one second, folks. Thank you, love. Getting a little morning coffee from my lovely wife. 
So if, if all of a sudden I can't think straight, how do I know what the truth is? I can choose to believe what's true or not. I can believe anything I want. Remember, this is what always fascinates me about the Gospels. When Christ was in different places, sometimes he couldn't perform miracles. Why? Because the people didn't believe him. But Jesus is the truth. But they didn't have faith in him. They thought they knew him too well. Nah, he can't be the God. He can't be the, 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 you know, the Son of God. And we know him. We knew him from when he was a little kid. Are you kidding me? I don't have faith in him. I don't believe him to be the truth. I'm going to choose to believe something else. Even though the truth is right there in front of us. We can choose what we believe. How do we know what we believe or don't believe? Well, here's the, here's the deal. If we, don't, if we haven't developed a moral conscience, if our conscience hasn't been formed correctly, and this is where I say as parents, this is where our efforts for the family are, as parents, it's our duty to educate the children, to really let them know, hey, this is what's true and this is what's not true. This is what you want to believe and this is what you, you know, this is what's going to be presented before you. And this is what you should believe versus what you shouldn't believe. There's going to be a lot of lies around you. That's something to consider, right? So why is it that we fall into sin? Because we don't necessarily have the truth. We don't necessarily have the idea of what to believe correctly. So let's read this. Sin is an offense against reason, truth, right conscience. It is a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. Notice something, a perverse attachment to certain goods. It doesn't say that we're attached to certain bad things, certain goods, certain things. If we look at the at the gospel reading, if we look at Genesis, the apple looked good. Well, I should say the fruit. We always say apple, but the fruit looked good. It was pleasing to the eye. But Eve had a perverse attachment to it. Why? Because it comes down to what does God want or not? That's where our attachments become perverse or good. What does God want from me? If God told me not to not to eat it, no matter how good it looks, then I shouldn't be attached to it. If God's telling me, no, don't follow down that path of, of, a, of a free life of where you're doing anything, even though it looks good, it looks fun, right? But all of a sudden I have a perverse attachment to it because God told me not to do it. This is our right reason. Can sin affect the mind? Can it affect how we think? If St. Thomas Aquinas is right and sin dulls the intellect, I'm not going to think clearly. Catechism of the Catholic Church right off the bat tells us that it is an offense against reason, meaning we're not thinking clearly. So absolutely sin is going to affect our mind. Let's see what else it says. It says, sin wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. It has been defined as an utterance, a deed, or a desire contrary to the eternal law. So very simply, what do we say in church all the time? In my thoughts and in my words and what I have done, or in what I have failed to do, that's how we sin. So this is telling us a, an utterance, something we say, an evocation, something something we something that comes out of us, an utterance, a deed, an action, right? Or a desire. There can be sin in the heart, folks. This is one of the inter, the most interesting things: a desire, sin in the heart. What does that look like? What is it that truly lives in my heart? What is it that I want? I can live, and you know, we see this all the time. We see people who we think are very, very holy people, and they look like they're living a very holy life. They look like very prayerful people. They're going to church. They're kneeling before the tabernacle. They're, you know, they could be even religious priests, nuns, whoever it is. They can look very holy, but at the end of the day, I don't know what's in their heart. When they're in front of that tabernacle, are they getting mad at God for the good gifts that everybody else has? Or is there jealousy creeping in there? You know, when we try to live a good life and we say, oh, I said my rosary today. That's wonderful. 
But am I harboring a lack of forgiveness in my heart? Am I not letting go of certain things in my heart? Am I not doing the things I know I should be doing? If I'm the man of the house or if I'm the father of the family, am I taking on that responsibility? Am I making sure that my wife's okay? Am I making sure that my children are doing okay? Or am I putting my needs first? No, you know, I'm the man of the house. I just want a beer and video games and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to close the door. Nobody can bother dad. How many times do we hear that? Don't bother dad. Don't bother dad. Well, if we're busy not bothering dad, who are your kids going to go bother? If I'm not there to allow my kids to ask me questions and to guide them, if I've closed the door because I've decided I need to, to take care of me, my kids need guidance. They're going to go look at, look for that somewhere and they're going to form their minds somewhere else. This is the, the, the right conscience part. How are they going to have a right conscience? How are they going to know what's right or wrong? It's interesting. You know, um, when we start getting older, we start to see that more. I know that I had some friends who now that they're older, boy, we were, you know, we grew up in kids, but now they're older, they're saying, I need to be there for my kids as much as possible because I know what kind of trouble I got into. I don't want to get into that trouble and I need to make sure that I guide them. Well, I've got some interesting cases for you when we come back from the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today, we are talking about what does sin do to the mind? Why? Because we know we always worry, and of course, <clears throat> what's sin doing to the soul, right? Is my soul ready to go into heaven? I got to go to confession because I got to clean the soul and I got to, you know, make sure that there's no sin attached to me and I want to make sure I get to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. And heck, I'd rather not even go to purgatory. I'd rather just get to the party in heaven. But the reality is we worry so much about the corruption that it does to our soul. We just stop to think, is it really ruining my mind? Is it corrupting my mind? As we know, sin dulls the intellect. St. Thomas Aquinas clearly tells us that, which means that I'm not going to be able to rationalize. I'm not going to be able to think clearly, maybe even about some of the most basic things, right, in life. Um, but I'm also not going to be able to think clearly about my relationship with God and what it is that I'm doing as far as am I getting closer to God or not. Why? I'm going to start thinking about myself. That's really what it comes down to. I'm going to start thinking about myself. We see that. Why did it use sin? You know, gosh, because she looked at the apple, she thought it looked good. She was going to have knowledge of good and evil, right, is what the serpent told her. No, it's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. We weren't supposed to eat from that fruit. We weren't supposed to know evil, in fact. We were only supposed to know good. When we get to heaven, we're not going to know evil. And knowing something doesn't just mean intellectually, yeah, we're talking about the mind, but knowing something means in the heart as well, right? It means that we know, if you look at the biblical sense, when a man said that he knew a woman, is because they had had intimate relations, physical intimate relations. And it means I know this person to the extent that anybody can know them physically, and we've, we've been connected in the most intimate of ways. I can also say that I know God. Obviously, we're not going to be having physical intimate relations in that, in, 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 you know, with God, period. But what does that mean if I say I know God? If somebody asks me, do you know God? If I say I know God, or do I know my neighbor, or do I know somebody? That also means that I have this deep connection with it. It means that I'm compatible with this person. It means that I sit there and I, compatible doesn't mean that we're equal or that we always get along, but I have to know my kids, right? And I know how they are. I know who they are. I know what it's going to be like to hang out with them. I know that they each have different personalities and we're compatible with each other. Why? Because I sit there and I know how to get along with them. I say, let's go to the store. I know that 
they're going to be really frustrated if we go to the hardware store, but not if we go get some ice cream afterwards. That's going to be just fine, right? So then the question is, do I know sin? Do I know evil? Am I being compatible with evil, right? These are one of the things that happens to us if we start to sin. All of a sudden, we start having this compatibility. We start moving down the path that we're compatible with evil, with hell, with the idea of demons, with the idea of the the mind of a demon, right? So if you listen to this, this is a question that was brought up to me as well, and it says, hey, Dr. Samuel, what do you know about compatibility with with evil or with the dark side? Well, what you got to consider is this. As I start to sin more, then all of a sudden I start to become more like sin. I start to become something bad. What's my sin? If my sin is of lust, I start to become lust. As I get to heaven, I'm going to start becoming more like heaven if I avoid sin and be closer to God, right? So if you ever listen to Father Ripperger's talk, if you go back and actually listen to our spiritual warfare talks, and if anybody didn't get to go, you can always go online and uh, and re register and request the, uh, the audio. But you're going to hear about what does it mean to be intellectually compatible with a demon. And all that really means is I'm intellectually compatible with my family because we have a goal, we have a mission. We know what we're doing with our family. We sit down and say, hey, what's going to get us to heaven? What is it that we're going to do to be inspired and closer to God? We have this mission and values that we follow. But the same thing that's going to happen to us is we keep sinning in our minds. We're going to make excuses for sin. And we're going to say, hey, not a problem. This is the way I think it's okay. It's okay. And little by little do we know that we're going to start thinking like the devils. Because all of a sudden the devil's the one who said, oh, God told you not to eat of this. Well, but you're going to have knowledge of good and evil. And it's okay. You're not going to die. Oh, it's okay. Why did it, Why was it okay all of a sudden? Because the devil said it was okay. So now I'm thinking like the devil. God said, no way, don't do it. So if I want to think like God, I got to think like, no way, don't do it. But if I start thinking like the devil, I start making excuses. It's okay. It's not that big a deal, right? So what is it that we're doing? That's where we start getting compatible with evil. Is that something we want? Well, let's look at the next paragraph of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So we had read 1849, but let's see what, paragraph 1850 tells us it says sin is an offense against god again why am i offending god i'm not thinking like god i'm not trying to get closer to god in fact i'm saying i know better than god i'm going to have intimate knowledge of sin i'm going to be compatible with sin because i'm going to be compatible with something that's not god right and this is the quote that it gives us against you you alone have i sinned and done that which is evil in your sight sin sets itself against god's love for us and turns our hearts away from it. Like the first sin, it is disobedience, a revolt against God through the will to become like God's. Why like God's? Because now I'm directing my own path. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to follow the path of God. I'm going to let God direct my path. Now I'm going to direct my own path. Right? Have you ever seen people say, do what thou wilt? That's what the devil said. Do whatever you want, not what God wants. And that's what's going to change our intellect. That's what's going to dull our intellect from getting closer to God right? Why did God make me to get to know him? I no longer know God. And I no longer have that knowledge, that intimate relationship with God to say, yeah, I know God, meaning that I'm, I'm right there with him. This is what sin is doing to our mind. It's corrupting the mind more than anything else. So it says that it's a revolt against God, the will to become like God's, knowing and determining good and evil, Right? So again, it goes back to that sin. Knowing and determining good and evil, when we get to heaven, we're not going to know evil. It should really end up with saying knowing and getting and determining good and evil for ourselves. 
instead of asking God, what should we do? Sin is thus love of oneself, even to contempt God. When we sin, we don't like God. We don't like it because I want to do this. I want it to be good. And God's telling me, no, no, I'm mad at God. It's a kid throwing a tantrum. You know, I take my kids to the store and they want to reach something, especially when they're little. My little one, you know, two plus years old, wants to reach for a toy and wants something. And I say, no, you can't have that. And they get mad. They throw a tantrum, right? They're their own little God. They want what they want. They don't know any better. They don't have reason. That's what we become. We lose reason. We become little kids throwing tantrums and not listening to mom and dad, not listening to God, our father. We start to throw that tantrum. Now, let's see what it says here, the last part of the sentence of this paragraph. In this proud self-exaltation, sin is diametrically opposed to the obedience of Jesus, which achieves our salvation. All right. What does this look like in real life? We're talking a whole lot about different things academically here. We're talking about sin. We're talking about how it can deteriorate the mind and obviously open us up to diabolic. You know that, but really it can deteriorate the mind. The question is, can it deteriorate the mind by itself? Because just like temptation doesn't have to be diabolically influenced, we know our human nature, our concupiscence, we naturally sometimes find sinful things appealing. The question is, can sin deteriorate just our minds without there being diabolic influence? I say absolutely. Let me give you an example here. This is what it looks like in real life. This is what it looks like in action. I remember I had a patient come to me one time, and she was a nice lady, probably in her early 40s, uh, and she was just feeling depressed. She was feeling anxious. She was feeling low. There was nothing good in her life. Everything was dragging. And she was telling me about how her home life, she was divorced at this point. She brought up Catholic. She was divorced. She had two kids at home. She had two daughters. And her daughters were just not getting along with her. They were teenagers at this point. I think one was like 15, one was 17, somewhere around there, ballpark. But they were at the age where they're you know, they still need to listen to her. They still need to obey her. They're in high school. They're not adults. They're living at home. And what mom says should go, right? Now, we all know teenagers get rebellious. And, you know, or so they, we say it's a stereotype. Some really nice teenagers out there. So not all of them. But sometimes we get into our teenage years and we become our own little gods again. We think we know better. And we stop listening to our parents. Even though deep down in our hearts, we know we should, we, we know better. We know that mom and dad are right. But we want to do our own thing. That's a whole separate talk. But this patient that I had, she would come to me and she would say, Dr. Samuel, I don't know what's going on. Nothing feels right. Even the air in my house feels heavy. I just don't know what the heck, what to do, right? Because I talk to my girls and they talk back at me. They're rude for no apparent reason. They weren't always like this. I said, okay, well, how's work going for you? Work is awful. My boss is just puts me down every chance she gets. Uh, it seems really jealous of me. I'm just trying to go in there and do my job. I don't want to do anything, uh, you know, extraordinary. I'm not trying to move up the the corporate ladder or anything. I just want to go in there and do a good job. And I do do a good job. And I think my my boss is jealous of that. I think instead of saying, hey, great job. Good for you. You're a real asset to the company. She's jealous because I maybe I do a better job than her. I don't know if she feels threatened. I don't know what's going on. But work, it's such a drag to go to work. It's a drag to come home because my kids don't listen to me. The house is a mess. I have to clean up after them, even though they're old enough to clean up after themselves trying to get them to clean their rooms and they just won't do it. I don't know what to do. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling anxious. Okay, so I got to ask her the questions, right? Hey, do you feel like you want to hurt yourself? Do you feel like you want to end your life at this point? No, 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 nothing like that. I just feel like I'm in a really dark place. Okay, <clears throat> well, what's going on in your personal life? So kids aren't listening to you. Your boss isn't being very nice to you. 
what's going on in your personal life? How, you know, what's going on there? So, well, I'm divorced. I've been divorced for about 10 years now and, you know, nothing seems to be right. And I'm starting to date and I'm starting, you know, I go out with different guys, but eh, it just doesn't feel good. And, you know, the last guy I was out with, well, how long do you go out with him for? You know, three months with one of them, a couple of dates with some of them, one of them was six months. And I asked her, I said, well, you know, you grew up Catholic. How, how does this work for you? Because you're divorced. Do you have an annulment? No, I don't have an annulment. I'm just, I'm just dating. Okay. Are you being intimate with any of these people? Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I mean, of course, right? That's the answer nowadays. It's, a, it's of course. Of course I'm being intimate because that's what's expected. Notice there's no talk here about, well, things didn't work out in my marriage, so I'm going to get an annulment. Um, and I'm going to, you know, if I, if the annulment goes through, I'm going to wait, obviously till the annulment goes through and if the annulment goes through, then I'm going to start dating and something seriously, maybe get married again, but I'm not going to be intimate with anybody because that goes against the tenets of our faith. You know, we know these things as Catholics, we know what the commandments are. We know what we're supposed to be doing and not doing, but when it comes down to it, we don't always follow it because the fruit looks appealing, right? The fruit that's in front of us looks very appealing. Why should I go through the hoops of getting an annulment? It doesn't mean anything. I already got a divorce. The divorce was, you know, it was on paper. It was quick. It was easy. It was done. Or a drug out. But whatever. I know that in society I have to get a divorce or I'm still married to this person. Well, in the Catholic faith, you're still married to the person unless there was a good reason to get an annulment, right? So we need to consider this. So at this point now, we're living a life that might not be compatible with the tenets of the Catholic faith. We don't have an annulment. We're dating. We're being intimate with people. And we're, life isn't going so well. What's the remedy? What's the solution? Well, we're going to talk about that when we come back from the break. All right, folks. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today, we're talking about Can Sin Corrupt the Mind? So we know St. Thomas Aquinas tells us sin dulls the intellect. We're not going to think clearly. We know the Baltimore Catechism tells us that God made us to know him and to love him and to be happy with him forever in heaven. But the first part is to know him. If sin's corrupting the mind and my mind's corrupted, that means that I can't think clearly enough to know God. Therefore, I'm not mentally healthy. That's one of the biggest issues that we're going to, that, that we face in society today. We think that we're, that we have mental health because we don't have a clinical depression or a um, uh, clinical anxiety or we're not taking medication for our mental health. And so automatically we think, oh, I am mentally healthy. The real question is, can you use your mind and right reason to rationally get closer to God? That's mental health right there, because that's why we were made. We have to, we, we have to get to the bottom line as to why are we here on this planet? Not here forever, right? And if we believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and my ultimate end is to get to heaven and uh, and that's where people are healthy right that's ultimate health the soul mind body the whole the whole kit and caboodle that's where we're totally healthy then i gotta ask myself is my mind in a place where it's rationally seeking to unite the mind the body and the soul to god if it's not i can't say that we're mentally healthy overall from a catholic perspective you know from a worldly perspective as long as you're getting up going to work and doing the grind and you're not complaining or drawing any attention to yourself and you're finishing your job halfway or whatnot, you're pretty healthy. That's, that's the, that's the bottom line. That's the, the least expectation from a true Catholic perspective though. 
unless you have the right reason to love God with all your body, all your might, all your soul, which is the first commandment Jesus gave us, then you're not mentally healthy at that point. Your conscience hasn't been formed. You can't be mentally healthy. It doesn't, it just doesn't make sense, right? Ultimately, ultimate mental health is to not want to sin, to not be compatible with sin mentally, to not allow sin because we know it's going to offend God. Again, the intellect, I have to know that it's going to offend God. So I don't want to touch sin. I don't want to be near sin. I don't want to be near the occasion of sin, lest I offend God. And if I find myself in that place, I get myself to confession immediately. That's mental health. That's really what it comes down to. Because now I know I'm doing the right things. Intellectually, I'm following the right path. And I'm getting closer to God, which is the ultimate end. God made me to know him, to love him, and to be happy with him in heaven, and to not sin. So before the break, I was talking about a patient of mine who I was treating once. Nice lady, nice nice person. Life is in shambles, right? She's obviously going through some major anxiety. That was the main thing I was treating for. She wasn't really depressed. <clears throat> she, she had a sadness about her, but she wasn't depressed. She, wasn't, uh, she didn't have psychomotor uh, slowness. She didn't have any uh, thoughts of wanting in her life. She didn't feel uh, hopeless per se. She just felt really slumped down, really beaten down and very anxious internally. She didn't know what to do. She knew that she had to do movement in a particular direction, but she didn't know how, you know, she had this internal brewing where daughters aren't getting along with her and she doesn't, can't reason as to why her boss is just putting her down. Can't reason as to why, uh, her social life is awful and she's divorced and doesn't have an annulment and she's going out and dating, but her dating life, her relationship life, the way that she's conducting herself in light of the Catholic faith is not good. It's not healthy. It's sinful. Um, she doesn't see that because the world's going to tell her differently. The world's going to say, you're divorced. You got to get out there. You got to meet people, right? That's our, that's our knee jerk reaction. But the church tells us, no, that's not the way that we're supposed to use our physical intimacy. If at this point you got a divorce, well, you better go see if it's a legitimate divorce in the eyes of the church, which means an annulment. Do you have a case for an annulment? If you don't, you're married to this person still, which means that you can't be being dating anybody else to begin with. And definitely you can't be intimate with anyone else unless you're married to them. So technically, even though you're divorced, could you, you know, in the eyes of the law, your divorce civilly, <clears throat> could you still go back and live with your husband and have intimate relations with this husband? Yeah, actually, yeah, in the eyes of the church, no problem. You got divorced civilly, but you don't have an annulment. You're still married in the eyes of God. You can still live like a married couple, and you might as well go and make it civilly married again, you know, get remarried uh, judicially, shall we say. But the church says, well, you were never not married, right? That's kind of how it goes. So for her, what did I tell her? Because she's very anxious. As her psychiatrist, I'm going to help treat her anxiety. We can explore medication. We can explore different therapy modalities. We can do different things and say, hey, let's take care of your anxiety. Sure. Why not? That's what we got to do. But the reality is, is this. She was Catholic. And as we talked about her spiritual life, I said, well, maybe you want to get your spiritual life in order. You're not going to church. You're not praying much. I didn't mention exactly the dating component because it didn't, it wouldn't have made sense. Now you're thinking, Dr. Sandoval, but we're Catholic. We have to talk about that. We have to talk. As a therapist, you also got to know when is the right time that this person is going to understand and receive the message of Christ? Why don't we start with the baby steps? Why don't we start with the Baltimore Catechism and work our way up to the Catechism in the Catholic Church? And so what I told her was this. 
I said, you know, if you're getting your spiritual life in order, maybe you want to get back into the church. Maybe you should think about confession if you haven't been in a while. And you can, I said, you can do your own examination of conscience. You know what the church teaches. You got to go through, I'm not here, I'm your psychiatrist. I'm not here to tell you what your sins are. I'm not a priest. I'm not Christ. But we have something called right reason when we start moving towards God, when we want to not sin. Even if we want to not sin, we our, our mind starts to rationalize again. Because now I have to define sin, right? Now I have to ask myself, well, what is sinful or not? If I tell myself I want to get closer to God, by the very nature of that will, and God's going to be tickled pink even with the slightest, the slightest inclination we do towards him, God's just going to give us so much more. And he's going to say, okay, let's start down this path. But if I say to myself, I want to get closer to God, I have to be real with myself and say, well, what is going to get me closer and what's not? I have to I have to be honest with myself at that point. So I told her, you know, do your own examination of conscience. Prepare yourself for a confession. Start thinking about receiving the sacraments again. And I told her, but, you know, if all that's too heavy for you, I think you just need to go start to pray. Start with just the basic tenet of prayer. Because prayer already is telling me, I'm going to start talking to God. I'm going to start getting to know God again. I'm going to have a, a uh, <clears throat> relationship with God. And guess what? Now my mind, my thought process is going to be compatible with God. It's going to, I'm going to have compatibility in the way I think. The way I think, when I start deciding what sin is or what sin isn't, I'm either going to be compatible with heaven or hell. I'm either going to think like Christ or I'm going to think like the devil. And the question is, which way do I want to start thinking? Which way do I want to guide my mind? <clears throat> well, so what happened to her? She said, okay, I think I can do that. I think of nothing else. I can just walk into a church. And, you know, she was making some jokes. She said, I hope I don't walk in and, and you know, I start getting smoke coming out of my out of my ears and eyes. And I hope that, you know, there's not a lightning bolt. And I think sometimes we feel that way, right? Because we, we feel like God's ready to punish us or we're going to walk into a church and we're going to burn or something's going to happen because we deep down in our hearts, we know that we haven't been compatible with God. So she said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start doing that. And maybe I'll just go sit in front of the tabernacle and start praying. Okay, no problem. I said, go for it. I think that sounds great. That's a great start. You know, let's see where God guides you. At this point, I'm not guiding anybody. I can tell you about your anxiety. I can tell you about your depression. I can treat that. I can recommend therapies. I can recommend medication. Spiritual life, I have no say over. In fact, our interior lives, nobody has any say over. This is where our free will comes in. This is where we got to decide, we got to decide what we want to be compatible with. Again, we can try to live very externally holy looking lives, but really what's in our hearts? You know, what's living in our hearts? We decide that. We, we make that choice. So what happened to this patient? Her life's in shambles. Things aren't looking good. I tell her, maybe you should pray. And of course, here's your prescription for your anxiety. Go ahead and continue to take your medication. Well, I don't see her for a couple of years. Literally two years go by. She didn't come back. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe she thought my advice was a bunch of hogwash and she decided to go and, uh, um, you know, do her own thing or find a different psychiatrist. You never know. It's okay. I don't take offense to any of that because not every psychiatrist or therapist is going to be the right person for you. So I always tell people, you need to go to whoever you feel is going to help you advance in your mental health, who's going to help you advance in your life journey. Um, and that happens. I think that that's wonderful when somebody says, you know, I found this other psychiatrist. Great. That's good. Because ultimately, I just want you to heal wherever you get that from. Well, what happens? Two years later, all of a sudden, I see her as one of the appointments in the clinic. 
And I say, wow, okay. She's there. Let's see what happened. I don't know. She hasn't been around for two years. So I go up and I go to the waiting room and I call her name for her to come back. And she looks amazing. She stands up. I'm serious. She, she stands up and all of a sudden she says, uh, uh, she didn't say anything. She looked, she was wearing like a business suit. It looked pressed and clean. Her hair was all made up. She looked, she looked like ready to go. She looked like a businesswoman. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, before she'd come in and she was wearing regular clothes, but nothing, nothing that really stood out. This looked like, wow, do you work here? Like, what? You look very professional. Okay. So she comes in. She looks very professional. She looks refreshed. And she sits down and I say, well, hi, how are you doing? What's going on? She sits down and she, uh, and she tells me, you know, um, I said, so is, is the medication working? Right. That's the first thing I think of. And I'm looking at her chart and I say, oh, you haven't gotten a prescription for it in a while. Do you need a prescription for the medication? Tell me what's going on. And she says, you know, I'm actually not even taking the medication anymore. I'm not, I'm not feeling anxious at all. I said, wow, what happened? Okay, that's good. That's wonderful. That was the whole goal. And she said, yeah, I'm actually not here for, for a, uh, a therapy session or anything. And I said, okay. She said, no, I actually, I actually just came back to thank you. And I said, to thank me for, well, what, what happened? Tell me. She said, you know, after I left um, our last meeting, I started to think about what you said. And at first she said, I, I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit angry because you told me that I should go back to pray. I said, well, you know, I'm your psychiatrist, so I told you to take your medication and whatnot, but from your spiritual life, from that perspective, yeah, you know, I just mentioned prayer, right? And we all think prayer is innocuous, no big deal. And she said, that kind of made me really angry. I said, why did that make you angry? And I thought, well, she's going to be mad at me. What did I do to her? And she said, it, she said, at first I thought I was angry at you. She said, but I was kind of angry at myself because when you told me I should go back and pray, she said, I always kind of knew all along that I should be doing that but I've been avoiding it. It's there, but I, I just don't do it. And it's kind of one of these things like, you know, when people tell you take your vitamins or, or eat your vegetables and, and you get mad because you know, you should, your veggies are there on your plate, but don't want to do it. But you're, you're mad because somebody suggested you to do the right thing that you know you should do. So I kind of felt that way. She goes, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to start praying. So I, little by little, she said, I went to the church. I, I started sitting in front of the tabernacle. And I've been praying a little bit more at a time. And guess what? As I sit there in front of the tabernacle, over time, peace came into my house. My kids are listening to me. We're not arguing anymore. I didn't do anything differently. I just walk in the house. It's peaceful. My boss, for whatever reason, laid off of me and didn't bother me anymore. And now I'm dating a guy who's Catholic and wants to bring me back into the Catholic church. And I'm looking to see if I should get an annulment or not. And she said, and we're actually living a very holy life. And I'm really inspired by that. That it all started because I started praying again. I started doing the right things that I that I should do. And that's what it came down to. And that's what happened, folks. She's not taking medication anymore. She's not anxious. All because she started to pray. Right order comes into our life. When we stop sinning, we start praying, and we turn our mind back to God to reach ultimate mental health and ultimate holy mental compatibility. Until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic. <laughs>